going to look at, um, to me, uh, just, just so magnificent. I was just thinking about it while I was away, uh, how God reveals himself to us. But perhaps more important than that, how amazing it is that God wants to reveal himself to us. You know, you ever considered that? Just the fact that, just that simple awareness that God wants to be known. God wants to talk to us. God wants this. And you think, well, most people with fame or fortune, they're doing their best to bypass anyone wanting to know them or talk to them. They refuse to reveal anything about themselves. Their lives are secret, and probably for good reason. They probably sort of get mentally molested by so many people trying to make money out of their photos and so on. But the reality is that we have a God who goes out of his way to reveal himself to us. And I find that intriguing. Like the power that God has, the creator of the universe, not just the heavens and the earth and that sort of close incense, but um, the God of the universe wants to be known, wants to be part of our life, wants to be closer than a brother, closer than a mother, closer than a father. He just wants to be part of your life. And you think, well, who am I? That God will want to be part of my life. Like half my friends don't even want to be part of my life. You know what I mean? And, and when you sort of look back at your lives, you think, well, a lot of the people, we, we bore some people. We're, we're not everyone's cup of tea personally and all that. Yet God wants to come and live with us. And not only does God want to come and live with us, he wants to dwell in us, and yet he wants to do it forever. So he wants to be a friend for eternity. And a lot of what he does for us is reflected in that attitude, which is very powerful attitude. So when we consider this, we would go to the Scriptures and find out just how available God is and just different mechanisms that he uses to make himself available unto us. And I thought it would be good just to go through some of these things, and I think it's an astonishing thing that uh, there's multiple ways that God reveals himself actually into the human race, which is good. Now, we'll just do a couple of scriptures. I've got notes for what I'm looking at tonight, so you can feel free to take a copy uh, as we finish. But uh, in nature itself, God says he reveals himself, part of his design and plan. And that's, we'll go to Psalm 19.1, just a, one little scripture here. And I, I think some of you would uh, probably know what this verse is before we turn to it. But we find here that God says that this is David who turned this observation. He obviously had a bit of an epiphany sitting there pondering the things of the Lord. And um, he just looked up into the heavens and realized the heavens are much more than the heavens. And he said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So here is God revealing himself. He, he had this epiphany that the heavens themselves were there as a sign, a sample of God revealing himself to the human race. And we didn't need the universe as big as it is. We don't need the variety of animals that are here. We don't need the multiple thousands or millions of insects varieties and species and all the design and all the colour and all the multifunction and all the magnificence of everything that God does. We don't need all of that and yet God has done it. So David had this moment where he saw it all and uh, we won't turn to it but Paul makes a reference to it in the book of Romans where he says in Romans one twenty, he said the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Clearly seen. In other words, it's your choice. If you don't like what you see, you can choose to reject it as it God. But it's clear, just the same. But he said it's clearly seen and it's understood by the things which are made. Understood. God said it's understood and yet mankind chooses to reject God 
even in the most basic instance of the natural realm, how he reveals himself in the simplicity of his creation and his handiwork. Now we move on to another aspect, Romans 2, verse 14. And we find here that God also reveals himself through our conscience. Whether we're saved or not, God will reveal himself through our conscience. And uh, somehow, with the way that God's designed all men and all women, God has the ability to work in our mind, not force us to do things we don't want to do, not uh, corrupt us in any way, but he has the ability to stir or prick on certain topics. And I guess we we get stirred, we get pricked, and it's up to us to choose whether we shut down that stirring or whether we expand it. Or maybe we get confused and not quite sure till someone comes along and tells us what to do. As Mavis said tonight in her testimony, someone showed her how to draw near to God. She'd never known before. But we all have a conscience into these things. And again, this is part of this revelation record which God talks about, and I'll read it to you. Uh, Romans 2 verse 14 says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, in other words, it just comes natural to them. Why? Because they have a conscience. They have a conscience about what is right and what is wrong. Where does this conscience come from? It's God. God's revealing himself in people, and this is how he marries up with people through the conscience. And uh, praise God, when we receive the Spirit, our conscience is activated in a way which we didn't think would be possible. And we have this wonderful assistance from the Lord, but for people who don't have the Holy Spirit, they're just, it's like you see in the cartoons, you've got the good angel and the bad angel sitting one on one shoulder saying, do it, do it, do it, and the other one on the other shoulder saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And that, that's the conscience. But God put a conscience in us. He designed and he, he put a bridge between us and him that if we would listen or let the conscience guide us, that there would be a marrying up of purposes and we would be aware that God is. And once we're aware that God is, God will send someone to tell us. that That's how it works. And you might be the person he sends to tell the person who's opened up their conscience to, to learn or to be taught. But some people harden their hearts. And again, you might be the one who offer the words and they might be just the ones who reject what you say. It really doesn't matter. The point is that God put a conscience in us. So we have this um, second nature where God works in the human race. And verse 15, he says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. So here is the Lord telling us that one of these ways he reveals himself, not only in the grand plan and design from the super large to the super small, in creation itself, but even in our heart, even in the thinking processes of knowing why do we have a sense of right and wrong? Why don't we just do what the animals do? They're hungry, they eat. They're thirsty, they drink. They're tired, they sleep. They don't have a conscience about anything. All right, they might have a a plan embedded in them how they live, but certainly not a conscience. But God put a conscience in men, which is another way that we can find out how God is and what he requires from us. Now, we find another way equally, and we'll have a look in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, that the Lord equally uses the Bible, whether it was the early simple writings of the scriptures, and today we're just so lucky to fort- and fortunate to have a, a complex collection of the history of the word of God. Uh, most of us electronically in a phone, you'll have multiple versions of the Bible, 
you'll have access to um, uh, information on nearly all of these scriptures with a cross-reference, whether it be a map, whether it be a historic account or some history, where it's correct or not might be another matter, but all these reference things are, are there for people to, to learn and read. And we find that uh, part of God's reaching out to the human race and revealing himself was that we have the scripture. And it says here in verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3, he said, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So God inspires it so people can write it down as a record and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, or for instruction in righteousness. And instruction in righteousness is not just how to be a good boy or good girl, but perhaps the whole broad picture of God's relationship of what he wants for mankind and how he relates to them. So we have a Bible that reveals historically the past accurately. It reveals spiritual principles which we might not understand. It reveals who we are and why we are, that we we aren't here by accident, we're actually part of a plan, that we have a conscience that can be turned on by the Spirit of God and by right. And uh, equally, uh, we have the ability to aid one another as family members of this household of God. And all this is written down uh, as a tool of discovery. And God's put it there that we can utilise it as a tool of discovery. And of course, in the balance of the big picture, it's just something else God has done for us. And uh, he also, in the scriptures, not only does he reveal these fundamental things, but he also talks of things which are yet to happen. So even when um, Genesis was occurring, even though it was written a fair time after Adam and Eve were in the garden, uh, the things recorded there were recorded of what happened in the garden, and they were already talking about the Redeemer in one form or another coming right back at the fall. So so that if you want to argue it was 500 years into the Garden of Eden just for a number, it doesn't matter what the number is, I, I don't really care, uh, that's 3,500 years before Christ, they're already talking about Christ, so prophetically. The Lord is already revealing something which is going to come, and that's just one example of what was going to come of the thousands of examples that the Bible's got for us of what's coming. And here we are now in the, the latter pages of the book of Revelation, and God is revealing things that aren't always clear. But I'd like to make a point about some of these things, particularly the book of Revelation, that when we consider this, the uh, when Jesus walked the earth, he said this day, he read out of the book of Isaiah, he said this day is this scripture fulfilled. Now, that scripture had been able to be read for seven, eight hundred years, but it actually wasn't till the event occurred that it then was able to be translated into a meaningful uh, event of history and spiritual truth that the people could relate to. Now, I'm sure that over the decades, over the centuries, many of the learned men and women had read those verses and they'd pondered and they probably all had their little doctrines about what it meant in the interest of promoting um, truth and understanding about the Lord. But it actually wasn't until it was read that it was clearly understood what it was. And I, I'm a firm believer that much of what's written in the latter stages of Revelation will only be known when it occurs then we can speculate, postulate, maybe get a lot of things right, but a lot of it won't be known as it was with Jesus, his manner of death, his manner of baptism, 
uh, John the Baptist, a lot of the prophecies all there. It really wasn't until it was happening that the people think, how can this guy, you know, uh, is anything good come out of, uh, uh, you know, Nazareth? Or anything good coming out of here? Is anything good coming out of there? They had all these things they were saying. You could see prophecy being fulfilled. But they were even translating it wrong when it was happening. It wasn't until quite a, a period of time after the event when the history was all laid out that we could then join the dots and go, ah, this is what it meant, this is what that meant, this is why born of a virgin and all these other things that happened in the manger and uh, all these other things that would come, the star went before him and that, well, that was all prophesied. Uh, all these things were able to be clearly laid down after the event. But nonetheless, it was still written before the event. That's God's way of communicating. It's just another way that God chooses to reveal himself to us that he can be trusted. And I, I don't know that there's too many of us here could predict three events that could happen Saturday and on Monday morning have it all worked out and be right. We'd probably be lucky to get one of them predicted right. Even if we say the three cricket teams playing, who's going to win? Forget how much, just who's going to win? Be very lucky if you got all three of them. If there are three, I wouldn't know how many are playing. Could be none, I don't know. But then there again, that would be part of the knowledge, wouldn't it? That's how it works. Now, one of the most powerful ways that God reveals himself is through Jesus Christ himself. And I'd like to have you turn to this one, Matthew eleven twenty-seven. These couple of words that Jesus said here, and I've got other references, but I'm not going to read them all tonight. They're there for your own interest. I'm just trying to go through a series of themes of how interested God is to show who he is to us and be part of our life. And all these different methods that he's chosen to get with us so that we can learn. So we read here in Matthew 11:27. he said, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So this is astounding. This sort of says Jesus is now making a very bold declaration that there was only one way to get to know God with the clarity that people thirsted after. Now, in the old covenant, they had the holiest of holies. No one could actually get in and see the Lord. Um, Those who got in there had to have a dead right or they were dead. And uh, there's a whole host of problems. And he was talking about a an awareness and a dwelling of the Spirit which had never been seen on the earth before. And here he was revealing how this was going to be possible. And he said, look, it's all going to happen through me. He wasn't boasting. He was simply revealing how the human race could have a relationship with God like they'd never had before. It's going to happen through me. He said, this is the transition. God has done this for me. And this is how it works. He just simply laid it out. And, of course, he he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, no man cometh to the Father but by me. So he made it very clear that there was only one way to move into this knowledge of God that would be workable. Whether your conscience pricked you, whether you observed God through uh, nature and creation, whether you observed God through the conscience or whatever, There's only one way to move forward into a working relationship past those initial um, prickings and and stirrings and blessings of the Spirit, and that is to actually move into this working relationship. And it can only come through Jesus Christ, who the Lord said 
would bring about this blessing and this revelation. So here is another scriptural way of the many ways continually refining and directing us into this area where God's able to reveal himself. Now in Mark, uh, sorry, Matthew 16, just a couple of verses over, and verse 17, there's a, a little statement here which doesn't always seem so much because I, I think sometimes we get a little bit confused. We only want to talk about Jesus or we only ever want to talk about God or we only ever want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And um, perhaps that's not always a wise way because these things tend to overlap with a variety of things. But God still pricks hearts which should lead people to find how Jesus Christ will work in them. But God will still prick the heart. Now, I've only thrown this in because sometimes there's a bit of a thought. I haven't heard it in our fellowship, but there's this thought that if you don't go through Jesus, you're not going to get there. And that seems to be the only way. And that's not the truth. We've got the heavens declaring, the conscience declaring. We've still got God personally pricking people. We've still got all this mechanism, but they all lead to Christ. They don't exclude um, Christ. Doesn't exclude all these other things. They become part of the one that makes the package work. And this is why when we receive the Holy Spirit, we're asked to repent, we're asked to be baptised, we're asked to uh, seek for the Spirit, and of course the package comes together, and there we are, we we are saved. But sometimes people receive the Spirit before they're baptised. It doesn't alter anything. You still have to go back and complete the arrangement that the Lord's asked us to do. And uh, this verse here simply says, Matthew sixteen seventeen, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bajona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now this is only one verse, and look, it's, it might only be a small thing, because um, Jesus had said, who do you think I am? And he'd answered correctly, and he said, well, you can't know that unless God reveals it to you. He said, you're the Son of God. You know, you're the only one, there's no one else, we can't follow anyone else. And he said, well, you're blessed, because God has revealed it. It's not something you're going to accidentally conclude. It only comes through revelation. And when you start thinking about how God pricks and reveals things, even though many people are off the mark scripturally and spiritually, a lot of people still have a fundamental level of blessing and revelation coming to them, but it's just not able to mature in them. It's a bit like the farmer who plants his seed. The rain doesn't come to fertilise the crop with the nutrient and the the other things that are needed, so the crop sort of starts to get a bit of action, but it just withers and dies. It just doesn't go any further. And I think there's a lot of people in this world have got all these wonderful things happening for them. But somewhere along the line, they just switch off and shut down. There's a drought, spiritual drought. And the only way that that gets broken is when people like us actually talk to people. We share our testimony. We, they observe our lifestyle. We've had people ask us, why are you so happy all the time? Why, why are this? Why are that? It's not always us trying to um, tell people about salvation. Many people uh, actually ask us questions. And uh, when I go to the bank, the lady there always says, oh, when are you going to Nepal again? And, you know, like it's just something and we talk and we just share a few things and that's why it is. But um, as the Lord said here, Simon, the revelation comes because God pricked you. God let you know. If he didn't, you would never know. You would never come up with that conclusion. It would be impossible. Uh, and look, that's the reason I'm bringing it out is I'm just trying to show you this huge spectrum of revelation that God has got going in this world 
sadly, most people don't get off the ground, which is genuine tragedy, but it doesn't mean it's not happening. It just means we, we need to, we're, we're sort of the, 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 the shower of rain that gives the, the, the thoughts the opportunity to uh, germinate, to do something else. What happens after that? That's not our problem in one sense, but we need to let people know, and that's part of our calling, because that is the most vital part of the plan of God, is how this gospel knowledge gets into people. God pricks them with the heavens, pricks them in their conscience, pricks them with this, pricks them with that, pricks them with the other, and uh, the next thing is, well, all right, you've got all this pricking, what do we do now? Well, now you need to know what to do. Now you need to be told, and we have a testimony. And our testimony is part of this um, this revelation which we offer other people equally. Now, in Acts 2 verse 4, we'll, we'll go there. I, I know we know it all, but I'd like to read it in context with how we're, we're sharing the thoughts tonight. We read here in this verse, he said, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, or you could equally say, as the Spirit brought about revelation, opening the door that the, the way, the pathway for the Spirit to move was revealed in the soul, even though it might be a, a, a subconscious level, a way how to communicate with God is revealed to us. So we start speaking in this other language. It, it's a revelation, maybe not the way you think, but it's still a revelation. It's still a, a developed pathway. It's still God's way of revealing himself. Now, for people in our fellowship, I guess we're told and we sort of hear it, but there are a lot of people I meet who are spirit-filled who don't know what happened to them. They don't even know why they speak in tongues. I've met people who were praying once or talking or thinking about God and all of a sudden they were speaking this weird language and they got scared and they stopped and never done it again. They don't know because there's no one there to explain what God has done. The, the revelation needs to be translated into workable knowledge. And this is where those who preach the gospel, this is the work of the evangelist or the work of the sons and daughters of God is to bring this revelation into usable working knowledge for people. Now, we have phone. To make it work, there's an interface on it which makes it easy to make the electronics do their job. If you had to punch a code into your phone like you used to do with the old computers where you'd load up all the data and do this and do that and you had all this command system, most people wouldn't even bother with a phone because it'd be beyond them. So in their cleverness, the modern technicians and the companies which make the technology, they make an interface which reveals to you how to do things with the phone in a way that you can comprehend it. So when it says, do you wish to reply, you go, yes. The phone didn't get yes. The phone got a whole series of commands going through it, which was a result of this interface simplifying communication for you. And that's exactly what happens when we witness to people this complexity of all these spiritual truths come down to a single interface of repent and be baptised, pray to receive the Spirit. I will pray with you. And all the complexities of creation, of spirituality, of forgiveness, of mercy, of the purging of sins, the fulfilment of prophecy, and all the things we probably can't even understand that we haven't even learnt yet, they're all done because we have a user interface through Jesus Christ. And that's what we teach people. And as the interface is acceptable, as the uh, interface is usable, people will apply it. 
People say, well, I never bothered praying to God because I didn't know how to. It just, God was too far off. Why should I? They never, never had the interface. I, I remember, um, when I was on the Sunshine Coast, I thought the mobile phone was such a boom. I had this thing had a, a, a motorbike battery in it. And the phone was on top. And the thing weighed about 14 kilo. Lasted two hours before the battery went flat. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, we thought that was absolutely mind-blowing that you could do that and yet today this little box lasts for a week or two if you turn off the data, talk to anyone in the world, look up any information. It's just amazing how it's moved forward. Well, God has done that already, but he's done it spiritually. People don't know. So because we've had this revelation of how to communicate with God, because we now understand these things, it is expected that we will transfer that knowledge and show other people how it might occur and that's what God wants from us because that's part of his plan of how he reveals himself and he reveals himself through the testimony of his children and we tell people yes you need to go through Jesus Christ yes you need the Holy Spirit let me show you how and that's how simple it is so we don't have to worry about the complexities of the Bible from A to Z we don't have to worry about all the comings and goings of the conscience of what is right and what's wrong. I went to a meeting in 1967, never been, I didn't plan to go there. It was the only week in my life up to that stage I would have gone to a meeting. I just got to, had uh, broken up with a girlfriend. I was feeling really, you know what it's like when you break up. You feel miserable, feel lonely, you feel all these terrible um, sort of things. And my friend said, oh, why don't you come to church with me? So I went. Now, the user interface at the fellowship was what I hear today, what we say today. Now, I, I don't remember the talk particularly. I, Lloyd Longfield did the talk. It was a, some prophecy, obviously. And all I remember was that he made a lot of sense, but I wasn't convicted. But I got baptised just in case. Because I don't believe we fully understand what we're doing. I think even now, with 30, 40, 50 years experience, we don't fully comprehend what we're doing compared to what we might know. I'm not saying we're novices, I'm just saying compared to what we might know. In fact, I sort of believe when the Lord comes back, we're going to perhaps understand that we didn't even know 0.1% of what we could have known, even in the flesh. But that doesn't matter. We know enough to be saved. We know enough to stay saved. We know enough to assist others to be saved. And we know enough to even get the vilest sinner repented, turned around and into the kingdom of heaven if they would like. We don't need any more than that. The knowledge we have is abundantly more than what's required for the calling we have. But again, that's a revelation of God. That he just overdoes everything amazingly to our delight. He said in Mark 16, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why? Because that's one of his rec uh, revelation mechanisms. That's the main requirement. This seems to be the way that this age is going to prosper and that's how I came to a meeting. In fact, most people here, if you weren't born into the fellowship, would have come to the Lord because someone invited you and followed the concept within this scripture of inviting you along. And here you are. Praise God for it. But it's only because God wanted to reveal himself. And you think, but who am I that God would want to reveal himself? And God's, God doesn't care what you think about it to him. You are special. And I'm not being psychologically kind to you. To God, you are special. That's simply the way it is. 
who, and I think it was David who pondered, you know, who am I that God should think I'm great? You know, even though he turned out to be a man of great stature in his age, and he did marvellous things with the slaying of Goliath and some of the wonderful works, he stood there and thought, well, who am I that God should think I'm interesting or spend time with or value me? Who am I? And you can imagine if David felt that way as a king, and a prophet, by the way, he was one of the great prophets, if you consider what he wrote, um, what were those of lesser stature thinking? What about the guy who cleaned out David's stables? How much less down the chain was he in mortal observation and mortal um, value for him to say, who am I, God? And God would say to this man, I love you and care for you as much as I do, David. There's no difference. I have the same zeal for you as I do for David. They're the type of words that our God's got for us and they're the type of understanding that God wants us to comprehend and share. But we sometimes shut the door off to God because we think, well, who am I? And you look in your mind and you know because you're not just rock solid always and not everything is clear and perfect and rosy and you know just wonder bar the way you'd like it to be spiritually. You have your moments of doubt, your moments of stupidity, this and that and all the other things or maybe you do have wonderful moments of spirituality that's never recognised. Well, it doesn't matter because God blesses you. And this is the point he wants to get across and I know it's been said many times but again, if only one human would receive the spirit and overcome of the seven billion people on the earth now, Jesus Christ still would have died for you. Still would have gone through it. And it doesn't matter whether it's one or a hundred or a thousand or a million or even a billion. It really doesn't matter. God's got a capacity to channel uh, his awareness of who we are so that in his mind we are the only person on the earth and he does it to all of us. I know that sounds a bit airy-fairy, but in reality, that's how God can do it. He's able to channel his love and care for us so much that in our awareness of who he is and our relationship with him, in that moment, we are the only person alive on the planet in God's eyes. And I'm not saying we are, I'm just saying this is the ability he has. Just trying to give you a grasp of your significance. It's not like... Um, where Bob goes out and he's got a 100,000 chooks in the shed and there's a 100,000 chickens. Well, what if one chook dies, who cares? You've still got 999, you know, da-da-da-da-da. It's not like that. Our relationship with God is like we're an only child of the whole world and yet there might be multiples of us, but our relationship is no different than being the only child. This is part of this description that God tries to get through to us and it's hard to comprehend. And I think we become our own worst enemy because we see things in ourselves we don't like, and yet God knows our heart better than we do. He knows your failings better than you do. He knows failings even worse than the ones you're aware of in you, and he still thinks we're the best there is. So what is he seeing that we're not? Like, turn this over. What does he know that we don't? What is he seeing in the future that we're going to be and going to do that we can't comprehend yet because we're not there. All we see is mortality. All we see is this limitation of the flesh. And yet I'm sure the Lord is looking well beyond even the millennial reign, even beyond the thousand-year reign, if that's the way it goes. God's looking to a time when we're no longer in the flesh, we're in the spirit. And perhaps, perhaps this whole earth and this creation is merely a shadow 
as some spiritual adventure that we can't even begin to think of, which is far off of which God's seen us and we're going to be as he is, uh, like the glory of the sun. That's our future. Now, he sees that. We can't. All we see is our mortality and God's going, forget your mortality, I've got that covered. Feed your spirituality because that's where you're needed. That's what he asks us to do. It's a powerful revelation from the Lord to be that way. Let's um, we'll just close now. Mark 16, verse 20. Again, scriptures which are well known. But this is the perhaps the final confirmation I'd just like to bring to your attention, the final revelation. He says here, Mark 16, verse 20, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and equally, as well as confirming the word with signs following. He didn't just work with them with signs following, he worked with them and there were signs following. So there would have been mundanities of life, like we've got, we get to go to work. Even Paul went back to tent making. on the When he wintered on the islands there for a time, he'd go out and do this and do that. He had mundanities equally. The history we read in the Bible is basically the action parts of his life, but it doesn't cover all his life. So he had his down moments, the same as we have our... Down, I don't mean negative, I just simply mean moments where you're looking after uh, natural requirements. And if he had have been here today, he would have had a, a house, he would have had to clean down, would he rent or owned it? It's irrelevant. He would have had to get his car serviced, and he would have got a flat tyre, on his way to there, like his ship sank three times, like don't tell me he had a special life, like I wouldn't have gone sailing with Paul and I wouldn't have taken him fishing because I'd say, you're wearing a life jacket because you're going to need it. These are the things. He didn't have a charmed life. He still had all these natural disasters and blessings happening alongside each other and what I love here is that the Lord said he confirmed the word. He was with them. He was revealing Spiritual truths, whether they were in the mundane part of their life or the other areas of spiritual expertise where the miracles and healings and other blessings might have been required, he is there equally. But he is there for the package of all of us. And when the Lord takes you on board, it's like a marriage. You've got your partner, good and bad, for the whole of term. That's how it works. And when the Lord takes you on board, fills you with the Spirit, he takes you on board all of term, with the sole interest of getting you into safely into the kingdom of heaven so that your life is safe, but at the same time utilising your skill and talent that you've got, which you may be not always aware of, to do the same for others. This is the final revelation of God to this world are the words of the Spirit-filled going out, proclaiming the gospel with God confirming it. What better combination than having the promise and the answer happening at the same time? All the people said... 